What's up, podcast listeners? Again, another fantastic, amazing, awesome episode. I'm hanging out with Raj Sheth. Raj is like truly a SaaS founder. So when you want to, when you think about like Silicon Valley, when you think about Austin, Texas, when you think about somebody who's actually changing the world when it comes to like starting up companies and having them be acquired, Raj is doing that. And now he's taking a whole new angle to it, which is phenomenal. He founded uh, Recruiter Box, which is one of the reasons I originally reached out to him was actually to talk about partnerships and conversation with that. They got acquired. He founded Deca Labs. He founded currently... Uh, Fly Data as well too. They uh, he actually became the CEO of that through an acquisition, and his company Deca Labs is looking at helping companies uh, who who were heavily invested in from VCs and maybe because of growth or timing, whatever they couldn't scale fast enough, but yet they were still a wonderful idea with a huge market opportunity. And he's looking to come alongside those founders or maybe uh, acquire those founders and scale the business up. And to me, I just think it's such a phenomenal model. When you think 99% of businesses fail, not really, because so many of them fail for reasons other than the idea or other than the business. And yet there's all these ideas out there that people just stopped working on. And Raj is literally taking those over in the SaaS space and changing lives. So anyways, Raj, thank you so much for being a guest in this episode. Thank you for the man that you are. You're humble, you're focused, you're disciplined. And I just really, really, really enjoyed having you a guest on the show. I hope everybody else did just as much as I did. Raj, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. So we were uh, we were smack talking a little bit before this, but you're, you're currently recording from, uh, from India, right? All the way. Yes. <laughs> How... Uh, and in you, uh, you you mentioned you're back and forth quite a bit. Uh, have you you've been spending most of, most of like the quarantine COVID time there? Uh, yes, because uh, you know there was a lockdown curfew here starting March that lasted four or five months, and then everybody was just working on Zoom from where they were. So uh, we just stayed put and uh, should be back shortly. <laughs> shortly is all relative i guess in this world it could be six months it could be you know six hours sort of thing i bet <laughs> hopefully a month <laughs> yeah exactly all right so yeah. so give me give me the lowdown obviously we have a lot to talk about in the uh in the in the uh hiring talent acquisition technology space in the startup world but i'd love just to get a little bit of background about your story absolutely so I guess the snapshot version is uh, I went to school at Babson College outside of Boston. Um, it's a small school known for entrepreneurship. I always had that curiosity that maybe I'll you know start something of my own. Uh, and then basically third year in college is when I started my first little student business, which was a website that delivered food from restaurants that did not deliver. This was far before smartphones and iPhone, and uh, there was nothing like DoorDash, even though I wish, you know, <laughs> I had created it. But this was the year 2001, 2002. And I kind of ran that business, you know, kids kids on the campus used to, uh, you know, come to our website, order food, and we were a late night delivery service. Uh, sold it to a fellow student when I graduated, worked at EMC Square for three years as a financial analyst. And then over the last 15 years, I kind of started three companies. The first two were B2C companies uh, that failed. One was a classified portal like Craigslist. The other one was a direct-to-consumer jewelry website. And then the third one was my first B2B SaaS product called Recruiter Box, which brings us to the ATS world. 
And we kind of bootstrapped that company for seven years to 3,000 customers, 60 employees. And we were acquired a couple of years ago by uh, Turn River Capital, which is a PE fund in San Francisco. And now I am sort of you know, back with my, um, my, my peers, my colleagues from Recruiterbox, a few of them. And we are acquiring SaaS companies that are at product market fit uh, and growing them. So I guess not so short, but that's, that's the long of it. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, so uh, back when you mentioned, like when you, when you first uh, started college, you know, it, uh, the college you went to is kind of known for entrepreneurship. And you mentioned that you always sort of had the desire to start something. Where did that come from? Is that like a family background of, you know, pers- you know, pursue your ideas, dreams, whatever, or what, what was sort of the, where, where was the initial idea for starting <laughs> or where was the initial idea to pursue your ideas? So I think, um, I think a couple of places. The one definitely was that my parents were entrepreneurs too. My, my parents had taken that path long ago and I, I kind of sort of grew up seeing that um, excitement and momentum and, you know, uh, pursuits uh, sort of a thing. Uh, but also it just seemed fascinating to, you know, create something new and uh, kind of experience what that feels like. So that was like the innate childish thing. It wasn't very developed. And uh, then once once school was over and once I was in my job, it sort of felt like I, I didn't mind having a few adventures, uh, you know, and, and funnily when, when, uh, when I lo- when I left my job and I was doing those companies that failed over five six years, I actually was miserable. Like now, thinking back, it just sounds like a great story and it sounds romantic. But those those were hard years. But I I, I laugh and I joke with people saying my only qualification uh, during those years became that I could survive without a paycheck. But I kind of kept going because I kind of liked the adventure. I kind of liked knowing you know what would happen and. Not doing that just felt like very subdued and mundane and boring for me. So I, I guess it's so, it's so funny to hear you say that because I like, I mean, we, we've talked about this. I've been at Wedge almost it's, it, since it was an idea. It's been almost freaking six years to think about it, which is just nuts. I mean, we really been in market for like, I don't know, give or take two and a half, three years. But, you know, I, there's definitely been seasons just of this business of loan that I, I, I've definitely been like called depressed or lonely or just like, man, this is actually kind of miserable. I love it. I wouldn't really have it any other way. And it's like this weird balance of that. But like, yeah, I, I think people fail to recognize how like personally difficult running a startup or pursuing an adventure can be. And yet at the same time, how like addicting and just like a calling it is when, when it's on your mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, it's great. And when, and, it, and when it works out, it's, it's exhilarating. Yeah, exactly. And the challenge to figure out, I mean, I hate to compare it to this, but I think like just as much the chase is as is as as important and as fun as anything, and trying to trying to get it to work out. And then in some circumstances, I think a lot of like entrepreneurs once they sort of get the first early taste for things are working out and they're actually coming together, I think they're kind of bored and then they move on. I think they like the chase of like figuring out whatever you you know you could define that as figuring out what product market fit is. You could define that as uh, you know, getting your first customer, or, you know, launching your first product, whatever it may be. And I think that's the biggest piece to it. But 
exactly exactly no exactly that that's precisely why we are taking this path now right because we 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 get to take these creations and then every time we want to see if we can get it right uh, and if we can actually do something with it i love that so um, out of the startups you started, obviously the one that I would have a hard for and probably know how to ask a few questions about would be Recruiter Box. So, so with your background, what was the sort of what was the what was the initial curiosity problem challenge you were trying to solve when you guys founded Recruiter Box? So, to be honest with you, for me, it was an accidental product. So, so there were two things going on. Um, my co-founders on the product, uh, you know, they were two brilliant engineers and we kind of sought, started out thinking about, hey, can we, is there a better way to find the jobs that we were looking for a couple of years ago? And uh, is there a, you know, can, you know, we were looking at Indeed, early Indeed, we were looking at LinkedIn. And we were like, hey, what's the best way to match people? So very honestly, that was the starting thought. But were you uh, sorry, real quick, were you in were you in San Francisco at this time or where physically were you? Uh, I was in Boston. And my co-founders oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, my co-founders were in India. I was in Boston. Then we got together uh, and created the product. And then I was in San Francisco for most most of the recruiter box years because you know, at that point, and, and I'm sure, not, you know, not much has changed now. We had applied to Y Combinator and YC, and it kind of felt like if you're going to do a software startup, then you should be in San Francisco. It's funny that our trajectory, I ended up physically being in San Francisco for most of those years, but our trajectory changed and we did not end up doing an institutional VC round. And uh, we, we kind of had an offbeat company. We actually had team members in nine different states uh, in the US. So we didn't have like an all SF team, et cetera. But yeah, no, I was an SF and uh, that, that's a whole other podcast that we should do about <laughs> everything I learned yeah. being there. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Round, round, two, we'll to, round two, we'll have to have a couple of guests and talk about all the different locations you could be at with, while running a startup. I think that'd be a fun one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, when we were thinking about Indeed LinkedIn, we were like, hey, what's the what's the originating point of a job posting? And we realized that, you know, when a company creates a job posting, it, you know, it, it would probably create it on an ATS. And so we created an ATS and put it up on, you know, Google, uh, uh, Google uh, Chrome Web Store and Google Apps Marketplace. And then we started mm -hmm. getting some customers and we had a monthly subscription and what what, what we kind of got right early and we didn't even know uh, about the ATS space. We, we were kind of dummies. We actually didn't know about the whole enterprise ATS space. We didn't even know it was called ATS, funnily. We were just like, why are all these businesses using email boxes to, you know, uh, invite 200, 300, 500 resume attachments? How the hell are they going to go through 200 attachments? Because if you remember back in the day, when people had started, you know, throwing things up on Craigslist and Indeed and ZipRecruiter for any kind of job, you were getting like 200 applications. And so we created a super easy product, which was not a watered down version of an enterprise HR software, or it wasn't, uh, you know, something for compliance that HR used. It was something that uh, small business owners were using. Like our early customers were a church in Texas, a snow plowing service in 
New York or high school, you know, in Phoenix and that kind of stuff. I was just, I was just here. Yeah. A, a church in Texas versus a snowplow uh, company, you know, just hearing like the needs are probably almost exactly the same, but how vastly different those conversations would go. <laughs> exactly. Right. And it was beautiful that they found the product super easy to use. They just like discovered us on Google, signed up with the email and then the, the self-serve product onboarding was key for us. So we made them take an action in the first first screen, you know, create your job, distribute it, add your team members and define the stages. And if they manage to do that, so, so as opposed to just dropping them on an empty dashboard and then trying to send them emails that, hey, let me help you set up your hiring workflow. We kind of had those four action screens and that was a game changer for us. So the revenue started coming in without, uh, you know, without us talking to customers, it was as easy as people creating a Gmail account. So it was like, were most of your, were most of your customers sort of zero to one? So like you were their first, like actually yeah. true piece of technology beyond like Excel becoming, you know, their, their ATS. You were kind of the first one to say, Hey, we're going to be like a single sole management system for this. Exactly. So in the first three years of our existence, we were the zero to one. Of course, you know, after that, when we grew up as a company, so to speak, when we had like much robust functionality and we then started going up to the mid market, I guess, as they call it. Right. And we were selling companies and we were kind of displacing some older solutions, etc. But it, it's exactly right. Like the first million, two million in revenue was a lot of uh, businesses where this was their first solution. How much, um, how much like customer education was there? Because like, I mean, with Wedge, when we've sold direct, sometimes we've interacted with customers that yes, had like a robust applicant tracking system. You know, they were actually had like a, a true HR circumstance. And then some companies we've talked to literally have Excel. And so what we found early on was that we were like more than just selling them video interviewing software, we were actually more like their hiring consultant, which we've kind of shied away from that, you know, certainly can help when we need to, but like something we've thought about, but then, you know, for you, how much was it like, was the sales process more of an education standpoint than it was just selling software? So funnily, it was uh, exactly, it was both. It was 50-50. So the, for the first two years, we it was funny. We used to get on demos, even if people were just using the free version of the product, or even if people were just paying like, you know, 40 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month. We used to get on demos because it was great learning for us. And we were like so excited that, you know, they had chosen to spend time on this. And to be very honest with you, uh, Funnily, in the first year, saying that it was education for the customer um, would be partially, uh, you know, not humble of us because we didn't know shit. <laughs> Pardon my language, but like we didn't know that much. Like we had created <laughs> But we it's, it's, it's so funny. I, I, sorry to cut you off real quick. It's so refreshing to hear you say that and don't take this the wrong way, but I didn't know what an applicant tracking system was when we launched Wedge. So I'm with you. I, like I was walking in selling this nice, sexy piece of software, having absolute zero understanding of what hiring, like the hiring process meant. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm hand in hand with you on this one. 
Yeah, because, you know, and a lot of people would ask us that, hey, are you HR folks? And and we'd be like, no. And at that point, funnily, we learned about hiring when we were hiring for ourselves at Recruiterbox. So three, three years in and hundreds of interviews in and when we were like hitting 50 people, yes, we had a lot to say about it. And, and it was awesome. But in the early days, we designed the product really well. We tried to understand the customer really well. Uh, but but I think the product also worked because we were selling it to people like us. Like a small business didn't have very mature hiring processes and they wanted to do things accurately, easy, efficiently. And that's what Recruiterbox did. And and when these companies grew up and when a 500 person com- uh, company was using Recruiterbox, they actually appreciated the fact that, hey, hiring managers could you know, add feedback very easily because that was the DNA of the product. And then, of course, we, you know, we provided all the permissions and the silos and all of those things. But yeah, uh, to answer your question, the education part came, you know, slowly and very specifically. But in the early days, you know, we, we, we didn't know too much. So how did you sort of combat the, you were talking, I mean, for a lot of what you were doing was talking to customers and Maybe I'm going to make an assumption here, building the product based upon feedback and hearing what they had to say. So how have you learned to like listen to what customers are saying, but at the same time, like know that just because a customer asks for it or just because a customer thinks they want it doesn't necessarily mean you need to put it into place. Like how did, how have you, and maybe that's not just a question for recruiter box, but just like somebody who's yeah. capable of building software in, in general, like how do you listen to customer feedback, but also know not all the time is the customer right? Exactly. So this is an excellent question. We actually had a lot of passionate debates. My co-founder has written like several blogs on this. And to be honest, you're, you're exactly right. This is nothing to do with, you know, applicant tracking system or hiring. This is probably the principles of creating a great piece of software or software product. And, the number one thing we did is a lot of people would make a suggestion and make us tell us the solution. They would be like, hey, why don't you make this pink? Hey, why don't you make this six instead of four? Right. That's a solution. And we would intently go back to them and be like, but what is your problem? What's the problem statement? And we would basically we would just hone in on what problem statements were. And we would try to get to that root problem statement of saying that, hey, you know, your labels and stages don't work because I am getting too much, you know, too many, like I'm not able to screen this volume of candidates. So I'm not able to do X or Y, or I'm not able to get a seamless assessment in stage four. So we would go to their core problem statement, right? Even when it came came to designing reports, people would be like, I want this report or that report. They would name the report. But the problem statement was that when I sit in the all hands meeting every Friday with my CEO, I'm not able to clearly tell her or him what, what, like how many candidates went through the funnel and you know what stage they're being rejected and what source is working. So we would go to the problem statement. And yes, the cust- if, if we define the problem well, then we could brainstorm the solution and we would never export the solution either internally from the team or like from the customer's mouth and just start executing it. We would basically make sure that we understood the problem statement well and then 
uh, go about designing a solution because keep in mind in SaaS you have to solve it for everybody. It's not like you, if you if you start taking each suggestion and just writing code and pushing it, you're gonna have like a crap product, right? Like at five thousand customers. Yeah, that's something we've definitely gone a little bit back and forth on, and and it's tough because it's like you want to build something to appease customers and jump on the opportunity to. You know, one of the worst things in the world was, hey, if you build this, we will buy. <laughs> That's like yeah. one of the greatest challenges of like how to how to listen to that, how to hear that, how to, you know, uh, support trying to solve a problem for those customers, but also recognize that like just because somebody offhandedly says that doesn't actually mean it to be true. So something that for, I think forever will be, a you know, a, a fun conversation in SaaS. But anyway, so long exactly. time, but we, we could probably do another podcast just based upon that alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so um, with you launch, so how long you did you did Recruiter Box for like seven years? Yeah, six six and a half to seven years with the acquisition. Yeah, and it was all just bootstrapped. All bootstrapped completely. Um, what made you decide to go that path versus the and you know traditional SFVC route? What kind of was the the? Did you make that decision or did it just kind of happen? Uh, so it, it just happened for the first three years. And then we made that decision for another three, three and a half years. Uh, so at first we, you, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So like, we were like, Oh, you know, if we had money, we could like, you know, build the product a lot, lot faster. If we had more money, we could do like all these Google AdWords and we can build a brand and we'll have more customers faster. And, you know, we need a trusted brand and all of that. So we did have that and we, you know, we did think that we needed some money, et cetera. However, what we, what we realized is it's funny. If you remember, I told you before, like we didn't really know the market we were in and we quickly learned in the first year. And then we realized that, Oh, you know, a, a lot of other people are doing this and we have to find a positioning and we are selling to this market and it might be very churny. And so we thought that, you know, to basically for this to warrant respectable, big venture capital, we need to figure out something special. But every month and every year, what kept happening is we kept making more revenue. <laughs> so th those two things were in a happy conflict with each other because we we still, we got more revenue. So we, we kept, uh, you know, hiring more folks. And then we eventually had a sales team, we eventually had this. And then we were like, Oh, we, we kind of have this growing PNL. We don't really know if we're doing it right, but I don't, it doesn't seem like a, we don't know how we could take like $10 million and make this, you know, go a hundred times faster. So we never did it, basically. And, <laughs> no, so, that's it, plain and simple. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, do you, uh, looking back on it, do you wish you would have taken funding? I mean, the funny thing is you had a growing PL, you made revenue and you sold the company. So, I mean, maybe that's a dumb question, but do you wish looking back on it, you had, or are you glad you didn't? No. So it's funny. And, and we might, we, we may have different answers here. Like if you even talk to my co-founders, I'm glad we didn't because, and, and this is, this is a, this is an answer that goes beyond the boundaries of, I know what we're trying to do, but. I don't think why workflow SaaS should raise hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, I think, yeah, that money should go, you know, yeah, you're curing diabetes, you're, you're doing gene editing, you're, you're coming up with electric cars, maybe, but 
I don't know. I think a lot of SaaS can be efficient. And to be honest, that's why we are doing what we're doing now. We actually have an anti-VC bet. Nine out of 10 VC companies don't make that seven-year sprint to 100 million in revenue. And, you know, as soon as you take 10 million plus, you're committing to saying that, oh, this will be in 100 million in revenue and uh, having, you know, basically a simultaneous explosion of expenses to be to be the first one there but i kind of feel that a lot of those businesses would be perfectly great 20 25 million dollar businesses so when the expectation equation breaks we would happily acquire those businesses that are only at 2 million 1 million half million uh, so anyway you sorry know, i went on a little bit of a tangent but no i'm glad we didn't raise vc money for it maybe for the right mission I think we we would raise a lot of money if if that mission is super important. Well, it's 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 fantastic to hear you say that because I've always had this like hypothesis of you know you you always hear the joyful stats of ninety nine percent of companies fail blah 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 blah, which then makes me always like kind of question the integrity behind the question of like, oh well, hasn't somebody already thought of that? Well, yeah, maybe, but it probably failed and it probably failed for reasons other than it was a good idea. Maybe co-founders split up. Maybe they didn't have enough money. Maybe they didn't, you know, this, that, or the other. And so there's a lot of ideas out there that are sitting that nobody's doing anything with, mainly because they got started and then nobody ever saw it through. And so if I'm understanding correctly, like your business is truly around the idea of like VC backed companies that took a lot of funding that were part of a portfolio that just for whatever reason didn't perform. So whether it's the found, you know, the co-founders or the VC firm, you know, cut it. And then therefore, like, it's a <laughs> prime opportunity to take that idea and do something with it. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes what's weird is maybe they were all, everything was awesome and everything was right. And just two things happened. There wasn't enough juice in it. Like not, there wasn't enough product market fit for that. That was not 100 million or 500 million. That was like a five ten million million thing, at least the way it was set up. And the other thing I'm realizing more and more is it's about timing. You know, it's it's the t- the timing of doing something which, which, you know, you could, I guess, the, the scientific mind, we don't want to call it luck, but like timing is everything. Because Airbnb was launched in 2008, it had a very different trajectory than if it would have been launched in 2000 or 2020, right? Like it was perfect. Like financial crisis was going on and, people needed that extra income and you know the election was there and like there are so many things that have gone right because of time well uh not that we're some big airbnb story but four years ago when we launched wedge little did i know the labor market was like uh in this position where it was entirely uh like unemployment was super low so therefore nobody was really buying you know, filtering tools like video interviewing. And then all of a sudden a pandemic hits and video goes wild. And exactly. little did I know that, you know, tongue in cheek, but a, a, a freaking pandemic was going to be the reason why our business grew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's just the weirdest, weirdest thing. And um, yeah, I, I fundamentally believe timing is everything. And that's, I mean, that's even another thesis right there is, you know, the number of companies you could scoop up, not because the idea was bad, not because they weren't well-funded, but purely it was just the wrong time. Exactly. And I wonder how many ideas out there, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of ideas out there that should be pursued that just didn't because they were timing right. So anyways, we could tangent on that. But when you're looking at a company that you'd be interested in acquiring, scooping up, 
or at least just engaging in discussion with to explore? Like, what are you typically looking for? So, um, see, all of a lot of SaaS products that are bootstrapped, I've kind of realized that it takes a minimum of three and a half years to, you know, hit product market fit, customer validation, you know, building the product, launching it and breaking that first million dollars in revenue takes about, you know, three and a half years if you're, let's say, doing it bootstrapped. So we are trying to short circuit that time because we are focusing on the one to 10. Like we're, we're basically committing and saying that we really enjoy growing these products and we want to do it predictably, almost like a factory. The, the, the way I like to think about it is a SaaS factory, right? So what we're looking for to answer your question is companies that are about half a million or more in annual recurring revenue. They should be a product, not a service. Uh, they can be either funded or bootstrapped. They can either be, you know, they can be based anywhere. Like it could be all U.S. Anywhere in the U.S. doesn't have to be California. Um, and essentially, we look at these products and companies. And the the biggest question to ask is not to them, but to ourselves: is can we do can we do a better job? Like, do we see this? Uh, you know, growing to 5x, 10x of what it is based on how we would run it. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Like, the, are, are there like, are there some tailwinds in, in the space? So is, is the space actually winding down? And then we would look at like pricing and churn and can we do something different to the product, etc. And then we value it based on annual growth rate, churn, is it monthly versus annual pricing? what's the space it, uh, it, it is in and what's the team that's going to be left behind. Like these are some of the things that we look at and, and yeah, um, there are so many SaaS products out there, like you said, and we, we've only acquired one company thus far and, you know, we're setting our internal processes and we're hoping to do the second one in Q2. So is there any, is there any industry you care about or is it basically just, you know, well, I guess twofold. Number one is the thesis limited by industry. Number two is there a certain industry you just straight up like? It is It is not limited by industry. It's crazy. Like we're, we're falling in love with so many different things uh, because the characteristics of some of these SaaS products are very similar, strangely. Like this company that we are running right now, Flydata, it's completely different than RecruiterBox. It's an infrastructure piping software that takes all your databases and syncs it to your data warehouse and you know we're, we're finding e-commerce companies and uh, fintech companies and video gaming companies are using this software right uh we we kind of like products that uh are, are, that don't have 750 competitors till now to be very honest with you like it's fine if they have like 20 50 competitors every space is going to have but if it's like extremely commoditized, like we don't want to be the 1000th CRM company, for example. But to answer your question, I was going to say, so you're not getting back into the ATS space. <laughs> uh, actually, you know, I'm, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm a sucker for punish, punishment. I would do ATS again, actually. <laughs> I love that. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> I would do ATS. I would do HR software just because uh, I kind of feel like, you know, like you, 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 you had one kid and then, 
the kid is now grown up and you're like, oh, now I can do it so much better. I would go back and do this, 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 this. So I would definitely do HR software. I would probably well, my business, my, first, my first business was in uh, landscaping and lawn care. And I there's some days that I wish I was back hopping on a mower. Maybe that's my retirement job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so that's why we're, we're super industry agnostic. It's more the characteristics of that exact business uh, that, that we want to kind of, you know, fall in love with like even things like ticket sizes right like uh, we, we we love the mid-market we don't want to sell a hundred thousand dollar product to an enterprise and convince you know six and a half people over a nine month period we 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 love fast we love quick uh so you know we love these self-serve products that have 14 day 30 day trials and uh, still can be sold to the mid-market that folks like to, you know, get their hands on and try it themselves. So the characteristics are more important than the industry. Yeah, I love that. Um, so whether you acquire one or you acquire, you know, a thousand businesses in the in your career, what ultimately like in, in, in the business world, in the software world, and just, in, yeah, I guess just, I mean, to reiterate, in business in general, what would you say is like the legacy or impact you want to leave? So I... I I, I probably don't think in terms of legacy, but I, I'm very taken by, uh, you know, when Recruiter Box was over, to be very honest with you, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like I, for the first time, was thinking about values and mission. And it's not like we weren't using these words before, but after two failed businesses, man, I just wanted something to work. I was thinking about revenue and profit, right? Like, and, and I know yeah. people are saying all these eloquent things and I'm like, I was like, I'm hungry. Like, I want revenue and profit, and <laughs> not had a paycheck for a while. So I was about to say, when you when you say hungry, you might have been literally hungry. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, and just hung, hungry for a stable paycheck, hungry for a win, uh, that feeling, momentum, and so so. Anyway, after that, it it was pretty awesome after the Recruitbox acquisition because I was like, hey, I I I. I experientially understand now why values are so important because there are some things uh, about the last seven years that I would want to repeat and then there are some things that I would not want to repeat and there are some things that I actually want to grow in and evolve in and I can actually sum it up in one line for you right now I am very interested in knowing how far we can scale this human capital experiment what I mean by that is Let's say we acquire these four or five companies and then let's say we build four or five products. I think the real challenge is can we attract, you know, nurture enough talent and can we organize, you know, our team, this human capital, these human beings in a way that we can do more and more and expand our capacity, right? Like look at Amazon, like how the hell in 20 years did they attempt 2,000 businesses and do 20 of them really well, right? Like, I'm, I'm sure we don't know they've attempted 2,000, but if you hear Jeff talk about it, like, it's all the failures of Amazon we probably don't hear about. But, like, so many things were attempted, and I'm sure they organized their, their human capital in, in, in a certain way. So I am now very interested in how to organize that capacity. Like, that's what keeps me going. I love that. And uh, my last question, absolute favorite question on the planet, and, and this kind of goes hand in hand with this, but ultimately, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Like if you, uh, if, 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 if the, the deeper purpose behind just business, but what is it that drives you and, you know, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? 
the sun. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> when the sun comes up, you're awake, and not before, yeah. and not after. <laughs> no, I I love uh, I I love I, lo- I I'm in a period of balance. Uh, I love uh, I love the you know the pursuit of what we are doing. I love that uh, you know other people derive satisfaction from actions that we are going to be taking. I love to see this change every day. Uh, also, it's funny, like, you know, there is there is this typical thing that, you know, if, if you're doing something that means equals to your ambitious, equals to your competitive. I'm actually not a competitive person, but I, I do love the, I do love the moving score of the revenue. I do love like when, when our sales campaigns are moving. I do love when we, you know, design a beautiful landing page. So I think the whole, the, being creative, I've realized is is the juice, right? Because everything else kind of comes and goes and it has too much volatility. But like when you're just like when you're creating small pieces of work every day, I think that's what like gives me give me the balance. I love that. I love that. So Raj, for anybody who wants to either reach out to you and just hear more about, you know, you, your story, or potentially hear more about uh the business, uh you know, whether it's a SaaS company that wants to potentially look at, you know, having a conversation with you, what's the best way to communicate with you, reach out to you, follow you, this, that, or the other? So email Raj, R-A-J, at decalab.io. That's just D-E-C-A-L-A-B.io. Raj decalab.io. Yeah, there's no S. It's not labs. Yeah, just Raj decalab.io. Uh, I'm not, and, and LinkedIn. I'm more active on LinkedIn than I'm on Twitter, to be honest. Uh, so you can just put in Raj Sheth, S-H-E-T-H, uh, and maybe Decalab, Recruiter Box, what have you on LinkedIn, and you'll find me. And then Twitter handle is who is Raj, but I'm not super active on Twitter. <laughs> love that. Love that. Well, I'll make sure not to follow you on Twitter, only on LinkedIn. So, <laughs> Well, Raj, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. It's been fantastic. I, uh, I think we've probably got two or three more podcasts to roll out, whether it's smack talk about SF and where to successfully launch a business or all the different ins and outs, goods and bads of the SaaS world. I think there's a lot more fun conversations to have, but thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Map Action Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.